It's in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Good evening. Why don't you open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 35. This mic's a little hot up here. Jim, take it down just a little bit. Um, While you're doing that, we just wanted to uh, pray um, for Steve James. Um, He's going in for a procedure. uh, Sounds like it's a diagnostic procedure, some issues he's had with his lungs. Um, Not sure which direction it's going to go as far as what they find when it happens, but just lift him up um, that the Lord would give him peace and and, uh, heal him and work out all of these things. So. Um, we'll pray for him in just a moment. Also, um, we support, if you guys don't know, we support two pastors. This is one of them. His name is, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Santosh Kumar Jadagal in India from Send Hope. Um, and recently, uh, we've actually started getting some correspondence from him specifically. There's another pastor that we support as well. Um, and he reached out Get, sent us some pictures of a pastor's meeting. We're going to try and get them up on Sunday on the slides. Um, and then also uh, ask for some prayer for some ministry needs that they have there. Um, he said that the area that they're in, there's a tribal community of about a million people that they want to do outreach to. Um, so they have needs for a sound system to be able to do that as well as a four-wheeler Um, to get around in that area, as well as just regular needs of being a pastor. From the profile we have here, he actually is pastoring in two different villages right now as well. So a lot of these um, pastors, they do that. They'll minister in one place, travel same day over to another village and and, uh, preach and teach there as well. So um, we want to lift them up to the Lord. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do uh, pray for Steve. Lord, we pray for this upcoming procedure. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray that you would give him peace in his heart, Lord. Trust towards you, Father. We pray that um, when the doctors go in, Lord, and they're done, they see that there's nothing wrong because you've healed him, Lord. That's our, our first and foremost, our prayer, that he would just be healed by you, Lord. But Lord, uh, you know all things, you know what is going on with him, and we pray that the doctors would have wisdom and discernment, um, Lord, in what they're doing there. And we just lift him up to you. We pray for him, for his wife, Lord, in this time, that you would just comfort them and be with them, Lord. And again, that you would heal him, Lord. Lord, we also lift up this pastor to you, Santosh, Lord, in India and the needs that they have for their ministry. Lord, we pray that they would be fruitful, uh, works, Lord, that you've truly led them to do, Lord, in in this outreach. We know you've called all of us to share the gospel, and this certainly uh, is uh, something that you're calling them to do. But Lord, we pray that you would provide for their needs. You would provide for uh, this uh, four-wheeler or another means uh, to get around and a sound system, Lord, and all of these things. But we lift them up to you, Lord, and we lift up the other pastor to you, Uh, as well. And we just ask that you would continue to work through them, provide for their ministries and their needs, Lord, and that you would just um, be their source for wisdom, for discernment, for strength, Lord, that their trust and hope would be in you and you would produce good fruit in their ministry, Lord. Lord, we pray for tonight as we look at this portion of scripture, Lord, that you would speak to us. We thank you for your word, 
Lord, we thank you that uh, Jeremiah wrote these things down as we get to look at tonight, Lord, in a scroll. And though it was destroyed one time, it was written down again with many more things said, Lord. Uh, and now we get to be blessed by reading these things, by, by being taught by you, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would have ears open to receive what you have to say to us tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So Jeremiah 35, uh, if you're there, uh, keep your finger there. We're going to read it, but want you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 10. Give you a little background here of this chapter. So 2 Kings chapter 10 at verse 15. So we're going to read in a minute, but this is focusing on uh, Jehu. Now Jehu had been anointed king over Israel. Um, and in this was, uh, he was anointed king right after the grandson of Ahab. If you've read this portion of scripture, you know how wicked and evil Ahab was um, and his wife Jezebel. And the things that we're going to read take place and they're part of God's judgment on Ahab and upon his house and upon Israel for the things that they began to do uh, in Israel, so the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, and uh, Jehu is basically fulfilling God's word to kill, slaughter Ahab, the worshipers of Baal, um, his, uh, not Ahab himself, but the house of Ahab, um, and to basically be God's method of judgment upon this wicked king and his family. Um, and so that's kind of where we step in here on verse 15. It says, Now when he, Jehu, departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? That's an interesting greeting. And Jehonadab answered, It is. And Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up into the chariot. Then he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab, to his household, in Samaria, till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them, or clothing. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. 
So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and had said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Now it happened, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And then the Lord goes on and talks to him. So this portion here, this is uh, the background that we have. Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, he was part of all of this. He was part of what was taking place. Now, as we go, we don't have time, obviously, to go through all of this. But where Jehonadab came from, he was part of this group of people that were nomadic people that were living among the children of Israel at the time. Um, they believed there were two groups of them, one in the north, one in the south. But they descended from uh, Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, the Kenites. So related in one way, but not Israelites. Um, and it's a very curious story how Jehu goes to Jehonadab um, and basically has him go along with him and work with him to carry out the judgment of the Lord. But we see it's not shared here, but in our portion of Scripture in chapter 35, we see that Jehonadab, he had some sort of, um, some say it was a zeal for the Lord, or some say an aversion to um, the things that he saw in Israel at the time, in that they were led to idolatry, they were led to excess, and kind of uh, espouse this idea of asceticism or like a monk going out into the wilderness, separating themselves from these things. Um, and we'll see that uh, this command that he gave to his descendants. So verse 1, Jeremiah 35, turn back to there. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took uh, Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Masiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the same as Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine. You nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us to drink no wine all our days. 
we our wives, our sons, our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. So let's stop there. So this group, the descendants of Jonadab, they um, had been commanded by him to follow these rules. Don't drink wine. Um, don't build a house, don't sow seed, don't plant a vineyard, don't have any of these things, but dwell in tents. Be nomads among the people of Israel. And uh, we see that for them, uh, they had kept these commands of their forefather, of their ancestor, basically for 250 years, this entire group of people. Uh, we don't know how many exactly there, there were of them, but they had obeyed this command and they had lived this way and in fact in verse 11 which we didn't get to yet it says the only reason that they broke those commands in and we don't know necessarily that they really broke them but they came in to live in the city of Jerusalem because of uh, the Babylonians that had surrounded so for fear of their life they came in and kind of sheltered with Israel with Judah at that time so they had kept these commands I find it interesting too that Jonadab when he commanded them uh, it says in verse 7 at the very end, it says that the reason he said this is that the, you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Um, for me, when I read that, I was thinking a lot about that. Why would he command them these things? And we don't know fully, except for that very reason, what he says, you may live many days in the land. Now, the Lord didn't command them to do this. This wasn't a commandment of the Lord. In fact, there's a group from the 1800s uh, on into the early 1900s in the UK and spread throughout other uh, nations of the world that called them the International Order of the Rechabites. And they basically were abstaining total or uh, promoting total uh, abstinence from alcohol, so temperance. And they got on board with all these political movements for the temperance movement um, and everything. And they said that God had commanded through this scripture that you shouldn't drink any wine or alcohol. Um, and uh, it's interesting, they didn't go far enough and say you shouldn't also grow vineyards and eat grapes and live in houses, but you have to live in tents all your days. Um, but, you know, it wasn't the Lord that commanded them to do these things. But Jonadab, um, I wondered when it says that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners, he recognized I think because of his descendant or his ancestor, because of Jethro and the history that they had, he recognized that the land that they lived in was not their land. They were nomads. They, I mean, they were, they were sojourners or strangers or pilgrims there. And I, I think he recognized that the Lord had given Israel that, the land that they lived in, that they were just pilgrims there. Um, and that in order to uh, live long in the land and have the blessing of the Lord that they would basically reserve that land for Israel that God had given it to them. Um, and we see, of course, that God uses them as we look at this portion of Scripture and blesses them. And uh, we will see later on, um, or you can see it actually in the Scriptures later on, that the Lord fulfills this promise that Jonadab gave to them because of this very reason. The Lord blessed them because they remained faithful to his words, and they had done it for many, many years. Uh, we see them, we see descendants of this group uh, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, 
There are those uh, who believe uh, traditionally that, that many of the descendants of, of Jonadab and, and the Rechabites uh, intermarried with the priests uh, and, and serve before the Lord in fulfillment of the prophecy we'll see later on here. And we see them kind of assimilated in there um, and continuing on. There are those who also, uh, there's uh, from some historians and archaeologists, there are those who say that they found groups of the Rechabites who were living in Yemen um, in the 12th century all the way up until the early 19th or 18th century, 19th century, um, and that they were still there and had observed many customs that were Jewish. And many believe that they may have been assimilated even into the Yemeni Jews that are now in Israel. Um, so interesting to see this longevity that what Jonadab told them, do this, obey me, follow these rules, and you're going to live long in the land and going to live long there. And we see that historically that that happened. But Ultimately, it's the Lord who did that. So let's continue on. It says, verse 11, uh, sorry, jump down to verse 12. It says, Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way. Amend your doings and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people has not obeyed me. So when Jeremiah did this, when he brought them into this, this chamber, um, Bible commentators say that this was kind of an open area. It was outside the temple, um, near the temple, but outside of it, and a place where uh, it would be uh, viewed publicly. We've seen Jeremiah, we've seen the Lord use the prophets in a way where they have these pictures that are meant to uh, teach the people that are there to observe them to be this picture. We see that with Jesus as he's talking, as he's teaching his disciples. He's using pictures, he's telling them uh, to look at the world around them, to see the things that are happening, and then brings it back to a spiritual um, truth that they should learn and should recognize and that's what was happening here as they're going and Jeremiah is there he's not trying to tempt them to drink wine but using them to demonstrate their faithfulness to this command that they had from their dead ancestor essentially and and the Lord uses them as this example they've been faithful to this they haven't done anything and then he compares and contrasts them to Judah and Israel it says look at these, this group of people, for hundreds of years, they followed this command of the, their dead ancestor. And yet, I have constantly, continuously sent prophets, rising up early, continuously, uh, persistently going to you and saying, don't do this. Don't follow other gods. Don't go after other idols. Uh, don't don't uh, serve them. Turn from your evil way. Don't do these things. Uh, and you haven't listened to me, the living God. 
and their faithfulness to this dead relative, this dead ancestor, is greater than your faithfulness to me. And I've given you constant warning. And the Lord was comparing and contrasting them so that they would learn in, in, in hopes that they would be stirred up to jealousy. Uh, it says, verse 16, uh, sorry, verse 17, Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard. And I have called to them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. That's a big promise that the Lord gives and fulfills. But we see that here's this picture, faithfulness, and unfaithfulness. Faithfulness with the people that were not called God's people. They were just there. Uh, they had seen Israel. They had been there, experienced kind of the same history and seen them uh, since the time of Moses uh, and followed around in there and, and had some aspect of, of uh, I think, recognizing the work of the Lord. Um, and yet they weren't God's people. They hadn't been sent the prophets. They hadn't been given the scriptures. They hadn't, they weren't of the house of Moses. They weren't, uh, they didn't experience or see all the miracles that Israel had. They weren't given the same promises, and yet they were a faithful people to the commands of their forefather. And yet here's Israel that had received all these blessings, all of these, uh, benefits of being God's chosen people, all of these things to help them be faithful that the Lord had constantly, consistently done for them. And they couldn't be faithful in it. And they weren't faithful in it. And the Lord uh, used them as this picture. Uh, the Lord, he, he uses jealousy, I think, and uses examples of faithfulness on the outside. We see that. In fact, this is partial fulfillment of Deuteronomy 32, the song of Moses, where Moses, right before he sings this song to the people of Israel, he says, I know that in the latter days you're going to be unfaithful. You're going to depart from the Lord. You're not, you're not going to remain faithful to him, and these are the things that are going to happen. But in 32, uh, 21, he says, they, this is the Lord speaking in his song. He says, they have provoked me, the Lord, to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but... I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. The Lord uses them at this point. Uh, we see this, I think, a, an even greater fulfillment in, in what we see happen in the New Testament with the Gentiles, the Gentile nations, who now are able to place their faith in Christ and receive the blessings of being part of the family of God as Israel rejected their Messiah and turned away as we read about. But that's what Paul writes about in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He talks about the provoking to jealousy of, of the Jews uh, in that we're receiving now blessings of the Lord, of being called his people, of, uh, of being redeemed, of receiving the blessings of their Messiah being now grafted into the branch. Um, and that the purpose, one of the purposes that God has for that is to provoke Israel to jealousy. 
that they might be jealous of the blessings that we have of being called God's people and uh, that they would be turned to him. And the Lord was using that here and using that as a picture, but also as a, a judgment, kind of a standard against them as well. And that here's this, this uh, command of men, and, and they're willing to obey it and keep it for hundreds of years. And, and here I am, your God, your living God, who's done miracles for you, who's done all of these things. And it's not just something I said 250 years ago. It's something I've constantly told you. Turn away from evil things. Turn to me. Don't turn to foreign gods. The Lord, he, he contrasted this. Um, and and uh, if you note in verse 15, he says, rising up early and sending them. This is something we should have kind of caught uh, uh, up on here in Jeremiah. He says this, there's 10 times throughout scriptures that the Lord says this, I sent them early to you. He says it in Jeremiah 7, 13, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Uh, then Jeremiah 7, 25, he says, daily rising up early and sending them, speaking of the prophets. Jeremiah 11, he says uh, that until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, obey my voice, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, and he goes on. Jeremiah 25, 3, it says, I have spoken to you rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. Jeremiah 26, verse 4, he says, uh, uh, walk, uh, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded. And then Jeremiah 29, verse 19, it says, uh, that uh, I sent to them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, neither would you heed. And Jeremiah 32, he says, I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive my instruction. And then our verse in chapter 35, and then it goes again, we'll see it later, Jeremiah 44, however, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. And then uh, turn with me real quick to Second Chronicles 36. And this is the tenth time that the Lord says this. Second Chronicles 36, verse 15. is recording the fall of Jerusalem here. So the things that Jeremiah prophesied about taking place. Second Chronicles 36, verse 15, it says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them. And this is why. Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. And here's their response. But they mocked the messengers of God despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand, and then it goes on. 
But the Lord, he warned them. I have had this picture of a father and his child. Child is constantly going and doing something that they're not supposed to. And the dad's sitting there, maybe on the couch, saying, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. The child keeps doing it. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Don't do that. Over and over and over again until finally the father gets up and intervenes and stops the child from doing that thing. Or the child finally gets hurt. And that's the same thing that the Lord is doing here. The Lord, he has compassion on them. He didn't want them to have their, their city destroyed, their people killed, to go through these things. And yet, because of their hard-heartedness, they're mocking, they're despising his words, they had to go through it. And yet, the whole time, remember, God's a, a omniscient God. He knows everything. He knew what they would be doing. He knew their resistance. Moses prophesied that it would happen. He knew all of these things, yet he constantly gave them chances to repent. That's the God that we have, the same God. He loves us. He has compassion on us. He wants us to follow him, to not toy with sin, to not play with things we shouldn't be playing with, to heed his word and his warnings. And we have his Holy Spirit who, who speaks to us in our conscience, who who speaks to us by the word of God, warning us, don't play with those things. Don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't do that. Follow me. Don't go there over and over again. And the Lord has compassion on us, has compassion. However, sometimes the Lord will allow us to go through suffering if we don't learn, if we're resistant to him. And that's what he was doing with Israel. You know, the Lord, uh, again, go back to Jeremiah 35. The Lord, he... He uses this example for them. Again, out of his compassion, he raised up prophets. He gave them this picture, and his hope was that they would turn to him. He gave it to them. We'll see that in the next chapter as well. The Lord constantly giving them chances to repent, warning them, even though he knows that they're not going to turn, warning them over and over. But their devotion, the Rechabites, it was a, a testimony to Israel about what faithfulness should look like and against Israel because their faithfulness didn't match up. How often do we uh, examine ourselves to see, you know, I think of uh, there are many religions outside Christianity and in no way would I condone the things that they're doing, but how devoted are they to what they're doing? Think of uh, in Islam, these... uh, um, Suicide bombers, right? They're devoted to their religion to death, to where they're willing to kill themselves to receive the blessings. Now, that's not anything that we as Christians should do, right? But look at the devotion that they have, the dedication to what they have. Uh, Think even on a more basic level. Paul, he writes in the New Testament all the time about athletics, about the Olympic wrestlers, about uh, running a race, about boxing, about all these things. Why does he use pictures like that? He's talking about dedication and work and, and faithfulness to what the Lord has called, where, where there's a persevering and, and a holding on to the promises of God and what he's given us and being obedient to him. We as Christians, we're not obedient and shouldn't be obedient for our salvation but because of our salvation. But again, it's, it's not this place our faith in the Lord and then we're stuck there and then that's it, 
right? Abiding on the vine, abiding in God's word doesn't look like we sit back and say, I'm faithful, but there's no fruit. If there's faithfulness, there must be fruit. But faithfulness is is being loyal to the Lord. It's believing in the Lord. It's trusting in him and acting upon the things he's called us to. It's being obedient to him. We see this throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament. We are often put to shame as Christians by the dedication people have to other things, to their pursuits. We should also examine our own hearts. What are the things that I'm dedicated to? What do I work really hard at being good at? And compare it to my walk with the Lord. Am I following him with that same dedication or more dedication? Am I devoted to learning the things of the Lord more than these other things? Where is my desire placed? Where is my passion? Is my passion with following the Lord and learning from him and desiring to be used by him and work for him? Or is it in these other things and the Lord's kind of an add-on or something that I do when I have time? John 6, 29 Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. It's the work of God. Now that's, that's his answer about being saved is believing. And that's it. It starts there. But I, I love that he used that word work. It, it's work. It's continuing to believe in him. Continuing to place your faith in him. That speaks to when we come up against struggles and trials that we trust the Lord, that he's good. We remain faithful to him. We don't walk away when things get difficult. When we sin, we work out our salvation in repenting, confessing our sin, remaining in him, choosing to follow him, to get up and and walk with him. That's the work that we're called to as believers. Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him, speaking of the Lord. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him we must ask ourselves do i diligently seek the lord yeah i diligently sought him when i placed my faith in him have i continued to diligently seek him he's a rewarder that's how we are abiding in the vine how we're abiding in his word by diligently seeking him the blessing is we have the holy spirit we have things that the lord gives us to build faith in us but our faith is not going to be built if we're not walking by our faith. It's that building upon that the Lord does in our hearts and our lives. The scriptures say, taste and see that the Lord is good. You taste, you see he's faithful, and you grow from it. And then you move on and you have more challenges and more things and more, more faithfulness the Lord calls you to. He calls us to be faithful in the small things that we're given greater responsibility It's work. It's something we're supposed to learn at, to practice on, to exercise in. Uh, Hebrews 12.1, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. That's work. That's exercise. That's enduring. That's persevering, not giving up. 1 Corinthians 15.58, we're told, Be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Following him, abounding in the work, being steadfast. Again, it's work, it's following him, it's persevering. 1 Timothy 6.11, he's told, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Romans 14.9, pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. 
1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. 2 Timothy 2.22, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Hebrews 12.14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. We're called to be not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Romans 12.11 says we're to be diligent to enter the rest of the Lord, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Hebrews 6.11, we're called to show the same diligence to the full assurance of our hope until the end. 2 Peter 1.10, we're called to be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 2 Peter 3.14, we're called to be diligent, to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then 1 Timothy 4.7, we're called to exercise ourselves towards godliness. These are all action words. Our responsibility, pursue these things, run after them, be diligent, be fervent, show the same diligence, be a worker, labor in it, follow him, exercise. That's what we're called to as believers. Our walk with the Lord is not a passive thing where we sit back. It's devotion to him. It's listening to him and following him. The Rechabites, they were faithful. They followed their com- the command of Jonadab. The Jews, they were not faithful. We see some faithfulness, you know, remnants that the Lord had, but overall they were not faithful. We're called to be faithful to the Lord, to follow him, to not be sitting on our hands and sitting back, but to choose to work towards our salvation. Not that we haven't been saved or work for it, but it's this sanctifying work that the Lord has for us. Growing is something where where we're testing the Lord and we're following him, being faithful to him, walking with him. The Lord rewards those who diligently seek him, those who are called by him. Uh, But those who are called by him but only pretend to follow ultimately will be judged. Am I pretending in following the Lord? We need to ask ourselves. We know the verse We don't necessarily like it, and I don't know exactly how it all works, but I know Matthew 7, 21, Jesus himself said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Right? It's that following him. I believe firmly when you place your faith in the Lord, you are saved. You have full assurance of salvation. But at the same time, the Lord calls us to be faithful and to follow him, to continue to walk with him. And a faith that says, I'm placing my faith in the Lord, I'm walking with him, that kind of belief, it should bear fruit. I, I don't you know, know the background of all of this, but I get these emails from this ministry called Ministry Watch. Um, it's about accountability in Christian ministries, looking at finances and all these other things. They were talking about this group that goes in and they try to help churches um, get revitalized after, you know, struggling for years with small attendance and all these other things and it's church growth stuff I don't agree with all of it but I was looking at this little blurb they had on a brochure and it said 
it said uh, it was questions that people are supposed to ask themselves in ministry and in church. And this question I do agree with, and it's saying, it, can faithfulness be without fruitfulness is a question. And we need to ask ourselves, if I'm not bearing fruit, does that mean I'm being faithful? The Lord says if you abide in the vine, if you're abiding in him, you're going to bear much fruit. That's being faithful with him. Now, again, I'm not saying anybody, if you, you look at your life and say, I don't know if I'm really bearing fruit, that you're not saved, right? That the Lord is the one who judges and weighs all those things. We are supposed to judge the fruit of people. But we need to examine our own hearts. What is the fruit that the Lord is producing in my life? Am I being faithful to him? I think we all know that level of faithfulness that we have. The good thing is, again, if we place our faith in him, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God can stir up and grow and produce that fruit in our hearts and our lives. But again, it, it, it's, there's the practical things like James talks about, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. There's the responsibility we have to be faithful to him and to follow him. The Jews in Jeremiah's time, they were sitting back on all the promises that God gave them rather than being faithful. The Lord says, I desire obedience rather than sacrifice, right? And that's the same thing he calls for us. He desires us to be obedient to him and to follow him. And the Jews, they were going to be judged because of their unfaithfulness. But the blessing that this group had, this nomadic tribe who were there because of their faithfulness to their ancestor was that the Lord said, they're not going to lack a man to stand before me forever. I think that's a beautiful promise. Well, let's go to chapter 36. It says, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So again, just like we looked at before, the Lord, he, he rose up early and warned them because of his compassion on them. Here, he, he wanted Jeremiah to write down all of these prophecies, all the things that he had prophesied, and have it as a, a document for the people of Judah. The prophecies, the judgment against them, but this was the purpose, verse 3, that the, maybe that the house of Judah will hear all of these things which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. The Lord, he was warning them again. He wanted them to turn away from their sin, to give them a chance to repent. And the Lord did that for them over and over and over again. So he, he had this document that he was to write. So verse 4, it says, Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am confined, I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction the words of the Lord in the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting. And you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against 
this people. So Jeremiah, we don't know, perhaps he was in prison. Um, not sure there are some Bible scholars who say he's in prison. There are some who say uh, he was just barred from entry at the temple because of the things we've read about before where he's proclaiming judgment and, and they're kicking him out of the temple and he's stirring things up. You know, throughout all history, um, uh, those who are opposed to the Lord, they try to silence people with God's message. We're seeing that nowadays even. Uh, these people who are imprisoned or, or raided by government agencies for um, trying to share the gospel and, and minister to people at abortion centers. You see that in the UK. People who are just standing outside and praying are thrown in prison and fined. Uh, we see that forever. The enemies of God are trying to silence the word of the Lord. And we see that there, but the Lord, he has his own ways of still bringing. Jeremiah couldn't go and proclaim this, but he has him write it down and then sends Baruch to go. And Baruch goes, verse 8, the son of Neriah did all that, uh, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book of the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. So then it goes on and it talks about how, how he read it um, when they proclaimed this fast before the Lord. Again, they're, they're going through all the motions here. If you guys picture this, see this here, they have this fast, and it's a fast for the Lord. And they're, they're probably seeing the things that are taking place around them with the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and all of these things. And they're saying, well, if we petition the Lord, if we do these things and, and, and go through these rituals, then, then we'll be safe and we'll be okay. And all the while, you know, maybe an answer to their fast or despite their fast, the Lord saying, here's the answer. Here's my word. I mean, the Lord sent his word while they had a fast there. And the word was, judgment's coming. Turn from your evil ways. Repent. Go back to the Lord. Uh, so Baruch, he reads from this book. We don't have time to read through all of this. But he goes and reads before the people. And then there are leaders of the people who hear Baruch read it, and he, they have him read it, and then they go and want uh, Baruch to uh, go and hide with Jeremiah, and then they're going to take this scroll, and they're going to read it before the king. Um, so turn over to verse 20. It says, And they, they went to the king into the court, but they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehudi to bring the scroll, uh, and he took it from Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudi read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it in the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was not on the hearth. Can you picture that? Here's this king. He's relaxing. It's warm there. He's got a fire going. And here are these men who are stirring up trouble. And they're reading from a scroll. And they're reading the judgment that God had called upon Judah and Jerusalem with the intent for them to repent because of his compassion and his love for them. And rather than hearing anything, uh, rather than being like his forefather, Josiah, and rending his clothes at the reading of the book, and, and, and repenting, and calling for reform, this king instead, he sits back, takes his knife, and shh, you've read that? It's going in the fire. Nobody's going to hear it again. You read that? Shh, 
It's going in the fire. Nobody's going to hear it again. And he tried to destroy the word of the Lord to them. Complete rebellion against what the Lord had said and throwing it in the hearth. Uh, And you see then this kind of political thing that's going on there. Uh, Verse 24 says, Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words. So there was the king and his supporters who were not afraid of anything that they were doing. They were, they were proud and arrogant, and they thought, this is nothing. Here's just this old man who's sent us these words, and, and it doesn't mean anything. It's a piece of paper, and I can burn it and forget about it. But there's this other group, uh, verse 25, it says, Nevertheless, Elnathan, uh, Deliah, and Gemariah employed the king not to burn the scroll, but he wouldn't listen to them. So even them, they're hearing, they're saying, don't burn it, don't, don't do this, and he's not listening. And then he, he sends uh, some men to go and to seize Baruch and Jeremiah. But uh, look at verse 26 at the very end. says, but the Lord hid them. So he thinks he's done with the word of the Lord. He doesn't have to listen. He, it's okay. This, this trouble is gone and done with and hidden and, and silenced and shut up. But the Lord had other plans. Verse 27 says, now after the king had burned the scroll with the words with which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, take yet another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. So Jeremiah, he's in hiding. The Lord's hiding him. And, you know, we don't see anywhere that he knows what took place with this scroll or Baruch because they, they went and hid and the Lord hid them. Um, and yet, and the king, he's sitting there, on his throne and he's done this and the smoke's burning and there's some protest but really nobody's really reacting at all to the words that they heard and just at the same moment the Lord's going to Jeremiah and saying hey we're going to do it again we're going to bring the word out again write these things down it says verse 29 and you shall say to Jehoiakim king of Judah thus says the Lord You've burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity, and I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and on the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them. But they did not heed. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the book with which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them many similar words." So, uh, you know, I was thinking about this and looking at it again. Jeremiah, if he really was in prison here, it kind of echoes what happened with Paul. You know, Jeremiah, he's suffering, and, and he's uh, the, those opposed to the Lord and to him because of the Lord are trying to silence him and to shut him up and to keep him out. And yet here the Lord calls him to do this, to write these things down, and we have the book of Jeremiah because this took place. And just like with Paul, Paul was thrown in prison, and while he was in prison, he wrote a majority of his epistles that he wrote. Um, And we have a, a, a big chunk of the New Testament because of this time period where Paul was in prison. You know, there are many people who speculate, and I don't know 
the truth of it, only the Lord knows really. But there are men who say perhaps we wouldn't have as many epistles of the New Testament because Paul was so busy going around and ministering and, and serving the churches and planting churches that the Lord took him there and placed him there so he could write these things down. But, you know, the Lord has given us his word. The Bible says that, that he values his word above his name, that he honors it above his name. We read in Isaiah 40 that the, the, all men are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but by no means will my word pass away. Not one jot, not one tittle, right, will pass away. God honors his word. He sent his word as a warning to us. He sent his word as a blessing to us. He sent his word to learn from, to grow from, to be in it. You guys, even us as English speakers and what we have here, I'd encourage you guys, read a history of the Bible. Not, I mean, read the history in the Bible, but also a history of the English Bible that we have. Look at how the Lord preserved his word and the many sacrifices that were made so that we could have the scriptures that we have in our own language that we can understand, that we have access to. I mean, the first English Bibles were chained to the altar at the church, right? And even before that, they were written in, in Latin that no one could really understand anymore except for the priests and the scholarly people, right? Uh, and now everybody has access to scriptures. I mean, there's free websites all over the place you can go to even if you don't own a Bible. Uh, and, and we have this overabundance of the word of the Lord. How highly do we value it and are we willing to listen to it? You guys, it, it's a gift that God has given to us and the things that the Lord has done so that we can have it in our hands. Uh, we are ungrateful to him when we don't spend time in it, when, when we're not uh, studying it, growing in it, uh, learning from it, spending time uh, living by his words. And uh, we miss out on many things. But today, too, we are called as believers to proclaim God's word to a nation, to a generation that's dying, that, that has no hope, that the end is like the end of uh, uh, the king uh, of Judah here, Jehoiakim, their end is the same as we read in this word of God, revelation, the judgment that's coming. We see the signs all around us that God's judgment is coming. And, and I think with people around, you know, you have lots of people who look around and they say, what is going on in the world? Uh, you have these wars coming on, you guys. There may be, uh, we may see an attack on Israel pretty soon if you haven't been watching uh, Iran is becoming emboldened, and uh, we're seeing kind of the, this rumblings of, of war. Uh, Amir Sarfati just talked about an analyst who um, basically had a pretty stark picture of what's going to happen or what Iran plans to have happen to Israel in depleting their Iron Dome reserves um, so that they can then come in and attack. Now, we know we believe the scriptures, Israel's not going to be wiped off the map at all. The Lord will preserve them no matter what, whether that's Ezekiel 38 or not. We know Revelation talks about Israel in the land, the temple there, all of these things. Jerusalem being the centerpiece of what God does uh, in, on the globe, on the earth at that time uh, and everything. But the world is in chaos around us. You know, there's rumblings of war between China and Taiwan. What if 
America steps in and tries to help. The Philippines just said that they won't allow American bases to send out offensive strikes against China from their bases. Um, you know, what's going to take place? We have the dollar diminishing. Uh, we have, uh, I mean, every day you can read about another nation that says we're not going to use the dollar any longer. We're going to these other currencies. Uh, we have inflation skyrocketing around us. We have uh, all of these other things, the food shortages they're talking about, uh, earthquakes, all of these other things. Did you guys see the volcano in Russia that erupted? Pictures of that on the Kamchatka Peninsula. Crazy pictures, huge plumes of smoke. All of these things are fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And they're written about so that people can be warned that judgment's coming. And we're called to, one, be faithful to the Lord as we see these things and continue to walk with him, to not be in fear. But two, also, be the light and the salt that we're called to be in sharing the gospel with the people around us, that there is hope that those who repent and turn, that the Lord has compassion on them and has been long-suffering towards them and waits for them. And we are called to be his people and to do that. Um, and we need to be just faithful to him, to walk with him, and to grow. We need to be men and women who are persevering and walking and growing. Can you look at your heart and your life and, and your walk with the Lord and say, I'm I'm growing in my faith in him. I'm learning to trust him. I, I'm, I'm seeing the Holy Spirit sanctifying my life. Is there a change that's taking place? It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we match up to other people around us or, or we live up to people we read about in the New Testament. But what is your personal relationship with the Lord? What is your personal walk with the Lord? What does that look like? And we're called to examine ourselves and to grow, to remain in him. If you look at your heart and you say, I'm not, I'm not matching up. I'm not doing these things. I haven't been faithful to the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and kind if you repent and you turn to him and you walk with him and you be faithful to him. He's given us his spirit. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Are you up in the morning and, and praying and asking the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you follow the Lord in all the things that you do through the day, glorifying him. We have all of these things that we're called to, and, and we need to be faithful in them. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged to faithfulness, Lord, that we would be men and women who choose to follow you, to be loyal to you, to be faithful to you, Lord, that we would be salt and light in the world around us. Lord, that we would choose... Uh, to glorify you in all that we do, Lord. I pray that no one would be discouraged, Lord, but would be encouraged, Lord, to grow, to seek to pursue the things that we read, that we looked at, to, to follow you more closely, to run with endurance, to lay aside those things, to labor with you, to follow you, not to gain salvation, but as we looked at on Sunday with those who are baptized, because we've been made new creatures in you, called to do good works and to follow you, to bear fruit, to be fruitful and abounding in all of these good things, Lord. I pray that by your spirit you would stir us up to be faithful to you, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen.